Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here, that your spirit is here with us. We thank you as we have sung that when we are in your presence and become aware of your presence, uh, that we expect you would do things that we cannot do without you. I pray that even this morning, uh, as we have joined together, either here in person or online, that we would trust you and that we would be able to depend on you to meet us where we are. For those of us who come with struggles or pain, that we would know that you are our great comforter and encourager. That once again, you can reach into those places of our lives, whatever we might be dealing with, and you can, you can do what we need you to do in our lives. And so we pray that today, as we continue to worship and as we open up the scriptures today, that you would speak to us in such a way that uh, penetrates our minds and our hearts and as a result, we would see more of Christ in us, lived in us and through us, in our personal lives, in our community, in our world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Welcome, everybody. Uh, to those of you watching online, to those of you who are here in the room, today is a really big day in the life of the church. And on the church calendar, it is Super Bowl Sunday. Okay, it didn't make the church calendar, but it's still a big day, especially if you're a football fan. But uh, also, if you're not a football fan, I know there's a whole bunch of you uh, that this might be the only game you watch all year long, and maybe it's not because you like football at all. Maybe you're going to watch for the commercials or the snacks or the halftime show, or just because somebody in your house or your friends are watching and it's a social event. And then, of course, there's a whole group of you that really don't care whether it's, uh, it doesn't matter what kind of game it is, if it's a regular season or Super Bowl. And that is fine, too. But I am a big football fan. So today, uh, it's just exciting. I love the Super Bowl. I love to get into it. More specifically, I'm not just a football fan. I am a Philadelphia Eagles fan, the greatest team in the NFL. I'm not sure exactly what happened this year, but they did not make the Super Bowl. I know, I can't believe it either. Um, a few years ago, though, I went, to, uh, I went to an Eagles game in Philadelphia. That had been on my bucket list for a long time. I want to go, I want to be in the hometown, I want to be around all the other Eagles fans and get the excitement and the, you know, your, your, the camaraderie with all these other people who are cheering for the same team and it's such a great atmosphere. Uh, if you've ever been to that kind of game in, a, in an NFL state, stadium, similar to some of us, you know, you get that high off being in a concert or something like that. I just wanted to go to that. And so uh, my wife, uh, actually for my birthday, got me tickets and planned we would go down uh, for the weekend and we were going to go with my brother and his wife because my brother, gotta love him, but he's a Detroit Lions fan. Nobody's perfect. I mean, every family has their problems. Uh, but the Eagles were playing the Lions, and so, okay, we'll all go down together. Uh, we'll go to the game together. It'll be fun. So we get to Philadelphia. The night before the game, we decide we're going to go out. We're going to see the city a little bit, walk around, get something to eat, enjoy it all. The game was the next day, and so we're in the hotel. We're getting ready to go, and my brother, God bless him, he puts on all his Lions gear, the hat, the shirt, the jersey, the whole thing. And I say to him, listen, you can do whatever you want to do, but we're in Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia is a big football city, if you don't know. And they're, they're not really known for being super hospitable to opposing teams' fans. They're a little less than polite. So I say to my brother, you can wear whatever you want to wear. That's your decision. You can do what you want to do. But listen, you're on your own. If at any point during the weekend, if you, want, uh, if you want an Eagles hat, an Eagles shirt, anything, I got extra. I brought everything that I have, and I will give it to you for the whole weekend, and you can wear it, and we can be best buddies the whole time. But if you're going to go out looking like a Lions fan, you just got to know you're on your own, okay? So we go out, 
and we're walking around. We go and we get Philly cheesesteaks, as one does in Philadelphia. We're in this restaurant. We're lined up. There's a big lineup. It's one of these places where the cooks are cooking the food right out where everybody can see it. And, uh, you know, we're standing there, him in his Lions gear, me in my Eagles gear. And uh, all of us, and everybody, by the way, everybody's excited for the game. Everybody's kind of dressed up. This, the city is getting excited for it. All of a sudden, one of the cooks yells out and points and goes, we got a Lions fan in here. And the whole place starts booing. It was so amazing. And people are yelling stuff at him and, oh, yeah, get out of here and all this kind of stuff, which thrilled my heart. And then the cook looks at me and he points at me and he goes, are you with him? To which I quickly replied, I've never seen that man in my life before. (laughs) Now this scenario, over the next couple of hours, uh, kind of played itself out slightly different in slightly different places, but across the city a number of times to the point where after three times my brother accused me of being Peter who denied Jesus three times before he was crucified. Whatever. Point is, really mattered what kind of jersey you were wearing in Philadelphia that night and the next day, which turned out to be a blizzard. And so here's my brother and his wife sitting in the stands with all Eagles fans dressed as Lions fans, and they're getting throw, uh, snowballs thrown at them. And again, I said, you can make this stop at any time. I got an extra jersey. Just do it. But he stuck it out. Uh, don't worry. There's a happy ending. The Eagles won the game, and I had a wonderful ride eight hours home from Philadelphia. My brother, not so much. A couple years later, just so we're all fair, scenario was turned around. We did the same thing, but went to Detroit, and I'm wearing my... So I got it just as bad in Detroit as he did in Philadelphia. And it's all in fun. And, you know, you get teased and all this kind of stuff, but it's football. Here's the problem. In our world, in our culture right now, a lot of us feel like that scenario is being played out over and over and again. We're walking around and there's these hot button issues and we're wondering, am I wearing the right jersey with my friends when we're talking about a certain issue? Are we all on the same page? Do I fit in here? If I voice my opinion, am I going to be the one that's ridiculed or or kicked out? Do I not belong here? Or we go back into our families and we go, I just know, some of us, we feel this way. We know if I go and sit with my family for an afternoon, my extended family, I just know there's conversations. I don't want to come up. I don't even want to go there because I know that I'm wearing the wrong jersey here. And sometimes the hard thing is you love all these people, but depending on who you're with, it's like I almost feel like i got to change jerseys at some time. What team am I supposed to be on? Who am I supposed to line up with? Who, you know, who's really touchy about a certain issue? And where am I going to feel like I don't fit in? Or we go the other way, and this is pretty common, is we feel like we know the jersey everybody's supposed to be wearing, And if you're not on the team that I think you should be, I'm the one now pushing people away. And we've got these experiences that are happening all over the place. And some of them are pandemic-related because uh, that's obviously become a hot-button issue. It's all around us, and there's so many different layers to it. But I just, I feel like it's not new. It's not new that we argue about stuff. I think it's heightened right now, um, and the tensions are high, and, and a lot of us, were frustrated, and we're losing patience, and it's become very emotionally charged for a lot of us. But it's not something new, and I don't think it's going away. The fact that we're going to disagree on stuff. It's always been here. It's always going to to be around these ideas. And so that's what this series is about. We're trying to figure out uh, how we can live uh, above sort of the fray, above the fights. And and is there some way that we can be different? And so in the midst of trying to ask ourselves, who are we supposed to listen to? Who are we supposed to align with? Uh, How do we make decisions about who we are and what our values are? Last week we started and we talked about humility. We start with humility. I could be wrong. 
And it's possible that I could be right and have a terrible attitude. And both of those things uh, are not really helpful, don't help us uh, move things forward, don't help us bring people into relationship, uh, but they're more destructive and dis uh, dismissive or divisive. And so we started with humility. We start with this humility. It doesn't mean you won't have an opinion, but being humble about your opinion is a good place to start. And today, I want to add to that and talk about identity. Who are we and how does our identity Specifically for those of us who are followers of Jesus, although I, I acknowledge uh, there's probably many of us who are watching along here, either here or online, uh, you're investigating, and you might, you might even ask the question, well, who are Christians? Where do Christians line up on some of these issues? Some of these political issues, some of these uh, health issues, you know, and then moral issues or societal issues, all kinds of stuff. We could go in all different directions, and that's a bit about what I want to talk about today. We're going to do that in Galatians chapter 2. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open up to Galatians chapter 2, uh, maybe as as we go, underline things that pop out to you, make some notes, um, and, and just have this to think about later. I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 11. And Galatians is the book of the Bible that we're working through in this series uh, because there's so much in Galatians. Galatians was written to a church, as a lot of the New Testament was, but that was in controversy. And they had these very hot-button issues that they were trying to work through and figure out who are we as a church and what holds us together and how do we deal with the fact that there's opposition that comes in, so we're taught one thing, and then somebody else comes in, and they teach us something else, and now we feel like, which jersey are we supposed to wear? What team are we on? Who do we align with? What kind of holds us together as a church in terms of who we are, and therefore, how we live? And so I think it's very relevant for us as we work through just some, some of those things in our own lives, even though the issues are different. So Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11 says this, but when Peter came to Antioch, so Peter's one of the apostles, one of Jesus, he's one of Jesus' disciples, he followed him around, he was with him for years, learning from him um, and learning what life uh, following Jesus is all about. This is Paul writing, he says, so when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from those who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So we have uh, two issues. Now Paul, if you're going to read through the, the whole book of Galatians, what you find out is um, Paul... We talked about him last, uh, last week. Um, he met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. It changed his entire life. Uh, Jesus sent him to preach to the world, not just Jews, but the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Um, and one of the things at stake was, uh, is Paul really an apostle? And there was this argument, and some people were like, you're not really an apostle, because to be a true apostle in this sense, in the early church, uh, what they meant by that, part of what they meant by that was, uh, did you spend time with Jesus, with Jesus? bodily Jesus. And so you had the disciples who followed him around um, for a few years, people like Peter. Then you had Paul, and he says, I'm an apostle, which means a sent one. I've been sent by Jesus. And some people said, yeah, but you weren't around like following the bodily Jesus. And he would go, well, actually, I met the bodily Jesus, the risen Jesus, who appeared to me, part of my conversion. And so there were some dust-ups. But there was all these arguments, and significant among the arguments in the early church, because uh, most of the very first uh, followers of Jesus were Jewish, but then quickly, people like Paul realized, I'm being sent out to the non-Jewish people, to the rest of the world, to the entire world with this power, powerful message that is universal, that is for everybody about how God loves them and has sent his son Jesus to die for their sins, to forgive them and to restore them. And this is just powerful. But now we're crossing cultures. We're going from, hey, most of us are Jewish, and so we have certain Jewish background, and we follow the Jewish law. 
And that was prescriptive for how we're supposed to live as individuals and as uh, a nation together, as a community. This is how we're supposed to worship. There's all... But now this message is being, powerful message is being sent to people who have none of that background. So they're trying to figure out, well, what's going on here? So the two issues here at stake, which for most of us are not really issues at all anymore, and so it's easy to go, oh, I don't really understand why this is so charged. But the two issues here that are mentioned are circumcision and food loss who you eat with. So food laws were really about, so in, in, in the ancient culture, and this is still true of some cultures, who you eat with is extremely important. Who gets a seat at the table? Who you eat with was not just, hey, we're hungry, let's have a meal. Sitting down at the same table with someone was basically affirming them, saying you're part of the family. I love you. We are together. We are part of the same group, part of the same tribe in a very deep and profound way. And so in the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, there's actually a a lot of laws and rules about what you can eat and what you can't eat. So clean and unclean food. There's a whole bunch of foods that the Jewish people were prescribed not to eat because these foods are unclean. And there's a lot of people that you're not supposed to eat with. And the reasoning, part of the reasoning anyway, behind it is because you're different, because you're called to be different, you're called to be God's people. And so this was sort of symbolic for them. It's a reminder. You're not just like everybody else. You're not supposed to be like everybody else. You're not supposed to be um, influenced in certain ways. This was the fear for for many times in Israel's history, that you would be influenced by other cultures and by by other uh, nations and the gods that they worshipped and the way that they worshipped. And you're not supposed to be drawn away from the true God to worship these other gods. And so you need to be careful and there need to be some boundaries. That's That's an interesting lesson, isn't it? Actually, it's a lesson we teach our children, don't we? Hey, be careful who you hang out with because you don't want your kids hanging out with bad influences who then, you know, influence them to do things that they're not supposed to do. But it's not, it's not like an end goal. And we'll get to, well, what's the end goal? Where are we supposed to go to? Because you can see the danger in it. You can see the wisdom in it, can't you? Well, don't, don't just let people draw you away. Circumcision was, was similar. It was a sign. This is who we are. For, for, our, for our boys, for our men, we are different um, and, and we're not like everybody. This is one of the symbols that we are God's people. So you have two powerful symbols. We're not like everybody else. Now, you can see the problem, I think, emerging. Uh, if you can see the wisdom in it, hey, don't be like everybody else, you can see where the struggle would come in. It would be easy for you to become uh, extremely judgmental, even bigoted, racist, xenophobic. We're better than everybody else. Right? You can see how if you followed that for long enough, it wouldn't just be, hey, we need to protect our moral life or the fabric of our society. It could become this, we, look at us, like look how great we are, and we're so separate, and we can't be with you people who do everything wrong. And so while there's some wisdom in it, it's not like the ultimate goal. And that actually is a principle that will help us to read Scripture. What we'll see in this passage, and there's many like it, uh, is the way that the apostles and Jewish interpreters like the Apostle Paul did not read their Scriptures and go, and that's where we're supposed to leave it, especially in light of Jesus. They said when Jesus came and showed us the true heart of God, we realized that our scriptures were leading us somewhere. They weren't static. It wasn't just here's the law, don't touch it, don't mess with it, don't change it. It was, hey, 
we also don't throw it out, by the way. And Jesus taught this too in the Sermon on the Mount. I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, to fulfill it. In other words, we're moving somewhere, we're going somewhere, and I want to show you where this was always supposed to be headed, deeper into the heart and the intention of God. New Testament writers, I think, are pretty clear to say where we find that is in the picture of Jesus. Jesus shows us what the, the, the image of the invisible God. Well, what is God like? And we're not really sure, and we have these scriptures. Well, Jesus becomes the clear picture of what that is. And so where we have uh, these arguments for them going, well, what's the role of our Bible? Like, we're reading the Bible, and, and we go, we're not supposed to eat with certain people, and we're supposed to be circumcised. This is part of who we are. This is part of our identity. And then you have Paul saying, but, but listen, Peter, you're such a hypocrite because now you've taken this message that's universal and you're going to people and we were proclaiming Christ as your Messiah, as your Savior, as the one who's come to rescue you. And then you realize, and by the way, Peter, you can read in Acts, he had a vision from God. And in the vision, uh, there's all these animals and it's, you can read about it in Acts, but um, basically God says, all of these things that we've said are unclean, that you've read, I, I'm saying are clean, that you can eat whatever you want, that there's freedom here. These were symbols. These were symbols, this whole unclean food and who do you eat with. This wasn't the ultimate. This was a symbol. Yes, you're supposed to be different, called out to something, but it's not the, the end goal. And so God, in his vision, shows him that all people are clean and all animals are clean to eat, by the way, also. Now, Paul brings up, he goes, so then Peter goes out and he proclaims this, this powerful message that, is, that is, uh, it goes above all the culture and all the wars and, hey, you you don't have to be Jewish, and he's proclaiming. And then he says, you're eating with these people. You're showing that there's something. We can actually be united together, Jew and Gentile, even though all of our differences, we can come together. And then people from James came, and you got scared because they had a different opinion. And you're a hypocrite. So now, oh, yeah, 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 James people are here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, we're not supposed to eat with those people. Yes, this is how we obey the Jewish laws. We've got to be separated. Right, right, right. And he goes, here's the problem. Not that you're changing your opinion. The problem is you're being a hypocrite. And then other people are following you, following you in your hypocrisy. Paul's going to elaborate on that as we go. Verse 14, he says, When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others. I love that, Paul. Like, I just I went after him in front of everybody. Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You, Peter, a Jew who has all the background in the Jewish law, you realize, man, Jesus has changed my life and now I'm a follower of Jesus now, how can you go back on that? How can you, how can you, and then you start living like a Gentile in some ways. Now, how can you go back to them and make them follow the Jewish traditions? You and I, verse 15 says, are Jews by birth, not quote-unquote sinners like Gentiles. So Paul's using this language, uh, hey, you're sinners and we're the Jewish people, and so he's getting into the rhetoric. Verse 16, yet we know that a person, here's what it comes down to, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. 
Paul just wants to drill deeper. It's not even just about the fingertips of the decisions you're making about, you know, food laws and this kind of stuff. It's deeper. Who are we? And listen, this message came that we are right with God. We are justified. We are in right relationship with God because of Jesus. We put our faith in Jesus because he died for our sins, because he's, he's forgiven us. He's redeemed us. This is everything. And this is the message. Now, how could you possibly go back and say, now you've got to follow all the laws? He says that just that was uh, that was a system that could never do what, what you're pretending it could do, that it could justify you before God. It just can't happen. We are justified by faith and not law. So here's what is at stake, really what we're talking about if we want to summarize it. The question here they're arguing about, the different factions, is do, when we go out to people who are non-Jewish, these are Jewish guys, do we need to convert people to Judaism so that they can follow Jesus? Do we have to bring them into our entire religious system? And Paul's going, no. No, 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 no. We're followers of Jesus. Now, here's a couple of things he's not saying. He's not saying, and we shouldn't be Jewish anymore. That's not what he's saying. Our our history in Judaism, that's a good thing. He's not saying there's nothing good about being Jewish. There's nothing good about the law. He's not saying any of that. In fact, they're going to bring all of their background with them. Of course, we all do. But he's going to say, listen, this whole following the law thing, we're going to see in a second, really just shows us that we can't follow all the laws. We can't follow all the rules. We needed Jesus. It was pushing us to that point to say we need a redeemer. We need a savior. And Jesus is that. He is our Messiah that's done that. He's saying if we've come to that conclusion, we can't bring people back here and say, no, follow the laws and that's how you're justified with God and become part of our our cultural fabric in the way of following the the Mosaic law and all this other stuff. That just doesn't matter. What that amounts to is tribalism. Tribalism is the behavior and attitudes that stem from strong loyalty to one's own tribe or social group. So it's not just how, how do I... How do I invite you to follow Jesus? It's you need to become part of my group, part of my social group, part of my tribe. That's what it's at stake. You can't go back on this hypocrisy. We're saying Jesus is everything. Then you can't say to people, but you've got to become Jewish first. You've got to be circumcised. By the way, that's like a tough sell for any adult males. Want to come to our religious movement? Sure, yeah. What's involved in it? Well, (sighs) there's a little surgery that you're going to have to go through. There's a lesson for us in this. We have to be careful that we don't get caught up in our culture wars. That we don't pretend that what, uh, that our culture, our Christian culture, our church culture, whatever it might be, is the heart of the message. We all come with our culture. We all come with our background. We all come with so much of that that's part of our identity. But when we come, when we, when we come to Christ, Christ becomes our identity. It's who we are. And so we have to be careful to say, it's not about converting to my tribe and accepting all the stuff that comes with that. It's about inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. And that's the heart of the message. He's saying you can't be a hypocrite and say, Jesus has come to save the whole world in this powerful message and it's going out to the entire world. Now come and be part of my little tribe so that you can follow Jesus. Well, it goes against the very fabric of the gospel message. That's why Paul is so upset about this. Now we see this in very powerful ways in our own culture. Have you noticed it? The culture wars in Christianity. I'll give you some examples and you can find a lot. Let's talk about politics, because why not? We're talking about all kinds of stuff we argue about these days. Let's talk about politics. The evangelical church, which I bring up because that's familiar to me, 
part of where I come from and, and you know, the, the, the background that I'm immersed in. Evangelical Church in North America has often had strong vocal leadership and many people who have assumed that being a Christian is also tied up in being affiliated with the political right. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe because of certain moral stances, certain policies that you say this lines up with our faith and what we believe. Uh, maybe it's your view of government, all that kind of stuff. But there's this, been this strong pull from the uh, evangelical church to say, we need to line up with the political right. Christians are right, right wing. Now, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but there's some bad influences in right wing politics. There are many people who have looked around and said, you know, there's some good stuff going on, but there's a lot of stuff that I don't think represents the Christian faith on the right politically. I don't know if I can stand for this. And some of it rising to a point where you go, this is absolutely abhorrent to me, and I see very little of Jesus in it. And so you have a lot of Christians who are going, on the one hand, I feel like my Christian tribe has told me I have to line up politically on this side of the spectrum. Studies and observations are showing in North America that Gen Z is not putting up with that. Gen Z is going, no way. If my faith means lining up with this political party or this leader, whatever it is, I just can't do that. It just, does, it just doesn't match up with the Jesus I read about in the scripture and the one that I experience in my life, and I will not go for it. Now, there are also a bunch of denominations that would say Christians should actually be lined up on the left wing. Look at the social justice issues and, and look at their style of government and look at their moral issues and some of them are different and whatever, but you know, we can't do the right-wing thing. Maybe we have to do the left-wing thing, but here is what you find if you really dig into that. Eventually, you're going to look and go, there's some stuff here that doesn't line up with Jesus either. And the more you dig, you might go, hey, there's some stuff I like here, but there's also some stuff that I find abhorrent and I just can't follow in good conscience if I'm following Jesus. Sometimes we think, if I don't like what this side of the spectrum is doing, the only option is to go to the other side of the spectrum. And so there's a whole bunch of Christian denominations and leaders that would say, well, yeah, maybe we go over to the left. And so you've got this polarized left and right. And then you have a group of people that go, ah, the right, they're corrupt. They got some things right, but they're corrupt. The left, they got some things right, but they're corrupt. What we need to be is centrists. Just don't be too extreme either way. We got to cut it down the middle. And if you cut it down the middle, you're going to find out that you have just as many problems as the people on the left and the people on the right. And we say, there's got to be a better answer. And good news, there is. Verse 17, let's keep reading. Paul says, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we're found guilty because we have abandoned the law. What, would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? So he says, okay, this is a really tough issue because in the Bible, we actually read about these food laws and who you're supposed to eat with, and, and we read about circumcision. What if we start following Jesus and we find we're on the wrong team? Now we're the sinners because we're not following the law. Does that mean Jesus has led us to sin? And he says, no, 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 absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of law, I already tore down. He says, listen, we've moved, we're progressing here to Jesus. We can't rebuild what we've torn down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. 
I found that when I was trying to keep the law, and again, there's many very good laws. We don't just say, oh, the Bible doesn't matter, these dumb laws. No, 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 but I couldn't follow the law. It just wasn't enough. It didn't get me to the transformation inwardly that I needed. What I realized as I tried to follow the law is that I couldn't follow the law. The law condemned me. The law showed me that I'm a sinner, showed me that I needed redemption, showed me that I needed something more. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all the requirements. Why? Because I was just completely lawless and I do whatever I want? No. So that I might live for God. Because living for God couldn't come from just following the law. So I had to die to that. My old self has been crucified with Christ, and this is key. It is now no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for I, if, I, if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. This is powerful. Here's here, everything. Listen, the law taught us that we can't follow the law. But now I live to Christ. I died. I died to my old self. How did I get the transformation? How was I changed? How do I live with God? It's Christ living in me. Christ fulfilled the law that I couldn't fulfill. And now Christ is in me. This is for followers of Christ, our identity. The Christian way of life, then, is the way of Christ. Now, I don't know if that sentence makes grammatical sense. I wrote it. It just says the same thing twice. The Christian way of life is the way of Christ. How do Christians live? People of Christ live the way of Christ. That's what it is to be a Christian. People of the Messiah. That is the system. It's not a system. It's a person. It's I trust in Jesus. This is everything to me. I don't build up the cultural system. I don't build up a whole nother thing and then make people jump through those hoops to try and get to God. I realized I had one of those systems. And you know what that system taught me? Paul's saying it was the law. It taught me I can't, I, there's no system that I can follow through that gets to God. I needed to be justified, made, made right with God through God giving us his son. Now I trust in Jesus. And so what do we do? We follow Jesus. Christians are not called to be left, right, or center. Christians are called to be like Christ. Not more left, not more right, not more center, more like Christ. Sometimes that's going to look progressive. Sometimes it's going to look traditional. Sometimes it's going to look somewhere in the middle. That's not the point. We're called to be more like Christ. We're Christians. How are we right with Christ? Through faith in Christ. He's done it all. What do we preach what do we invite people into? What do we live out? If it's not that, it's hypocrisy. There's no other system. There's no philosophy. There's no political party. There's no ideology. There's no ism. Only Christ. That's our identity. That's the jersey. <laughs> what happens when somebody else wearing a different jersey comes in? Do they get to sit at the table? The Christian way of life is the way of Christ. So how do we apply that? In a world that is often so polarizing and we're so tempted to be pulled in one direction. By the way, the tactic of tribalism is often fear. Have you noticed that? I have had, I have had people who have all different opinions. This is not a, a, a statement on one group of people or another. In the last couple of years, I have had so many people tell me, do not live in fear and they mean a specific thing, don't be afraid of this, don't be afraid of this. 
and then tell me what you should really be afraid of. You ever have, don't be afraid of the virus, be afraid of the government. Don't be afraid of the government, be afraid of the virus. Don't be afraid of this political you know, group, be afraid of this political group. <laughs> Maybe we really shouldn't live in fear. Fear goes a certain way. There's, a, there's a, a respectable good amount of fear that alerts us to danger where we should say, hey, there's a danger here, so I'm going to be protective of myself and other people. That's good, but no, we're not supposed to live in fear. Christians are called to live in love. So let's go. Uh, three application points that I want to draw out based on that. Number one, um, we need to avoid the either-or culture war. We need to be reminded, um, and again, sometimes just people, people are going to disagree, and you might feel cringeworthy. I don't want to have this conversation with someone else. I know we're on opposite sides. You might feel pressure. Oh, because these people want me to be over here. These people want me to be over here. What am I supposed to do? Just be reminded that Christians are called to be more like Christ, and so avoid, avoid this either-or. Is it the, the political right that's bad? Is it the political left that's bad? Is it who's right, who's wrong, all that kind of stuff? And go, just be reminded, hey, I don't have to line up 100% with any of these groups. Not that they don't do anything good. They do. We take the good from where we find it. But we don't have to dive into this. I'm on this team. You're on that team. I'm on this team. You're on that team. And be divisive. So number two, leading from that, I think it's important for us to be informed about the world and be formed by Christ. Very important. Listen, we've got to come to conclusions and opinions in the world. How we're going to deal with certain things. What we're going to do, what we're not going to do. What our morality is. What we think about certain issues. We can't just bury our head in the sand and go, I, I have no opinion. I'm just a Christian. That's, that's not the point here. We need to be informed. We need to know what's going on. We need to figure out where we stand on certain things and how we're going to act. But this is crucial. We need to be formed by Christ. Our character... And who we are is going to be so much more important than most of the, the, the opinions that we have. It's going to actually help us to make better opinions and live in a productive way instead of a destructive way. We need to be informed about the world. Yes, I know what's going on with protests. I know what's going on with vaccinations. I know what's going on with mandates. I know what's going on in the government. I, that's fine to be informed by the world. But sometimes I think we spend so much time on our news feed and watching influencers on TikTok or Instagram that all these opinions are coming in and they're forming us. They're forming who we think that we are. And what we need to remember is, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to be formed by Christ. Perhaps uh, you've gone to church, maybe you've been in church your whole life, and people have told you about a quiet time. You should have a quiet time. You should do your devotions. And then you went to read your Bible and you got bored and you fell asleep praying. And you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Listen, here's what's at stake when it comes to our spiritual disciplines that our disciplines are going to help open us up and be formed by Christ. As much as we're spending time hearing all these voices coming into us from all different sides, some of them better than others, how much time and attention are we giving to God's presence in our lives? Say, I want to be formed by Christ in me. That's what Paul said. Christ in me, the Spirit of God living in me and working through me. I need to be formed by that. Because what if I go into the world and we realize this polarization and I'm angry and I'm upset and you're wrong and you're right and you're wrong and you're right and we get in all these fights and we go, we're just, it's, it's no different than anything else. How do we do better? We need to be informed by the world but formed by Christ. We're going to see more about that in the book of Galatians. What would it look like, it look like for the fruit of the Spirit to be increasing in your life? that you're more loving and kind and patient. We'll read that list later in this series. To go, well, how would I know if I'm being formed by Christ that you're going to look more like Christ? How do you decide what your opinions are? Be 
informed by Christ. Informed? Yes, we need to know what's going on in the world and what's out there and do our research, all that kind of stuff. We need to be formed by Christ. If you want some help, I got three books that I would recommend to you. If you say, man, I got to get back uh, into the rhythm, I got to focus on my spiritual rhythms and my spiritual routines. Three books that have helped me greatly. Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. He goes through 12 different disciplines, uh, tells you about them, how to, how to practice them. Um, wonderful book. Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard was such a wonderful spiritual uh, writer and teacher. Uh, and then a newer book by Rich Viotis, The Deeply Formed Life. Um, that again goes through just some of those, um, those powerful routines, traditions, disciplines that help us focus on what God is doing in our lives. Open us up to him so that we can be formed more by Christ. And then the third application point, let love lead and not fear. Ultimately, as Christ forms us, here's what we're going to find, because Jesus wasn't shy about this. How, how is the law fully fulfilled? Again, Paul's going, listen, the law just showed me that I was a sinner. But Jesus said, we don't just throw out the law. We just realize it needed to be fulfilled. We needed to go further to the heart of God. And what is that? To love God and to love other people. Love is at the heart of anything. So here's how a uh, couple of different levels that we make decisions. One is we go, what do I want to do? Let's be honest, all of us live on this level. What do I want to do? I'm going to make a decision based on how I feel or what I think I should do. What's going to make things better for me? You know, to a certain extent, that's fine, but you can see how it can obviously get selfish. There's another level where some people might ask, what am I being told to do? What am I being told to do by my tribe, by my political party, by my culture, by whoever it is, somebody else? And this is where some people really push back. I don't want to be told what to do. Other people go, I got to fall in line and I got to follow the rules and I got to make sure that I fit in. And so we jump into there. But followers of Christ are going to go to another level and say, what does love require from me in this situation? You know, you're making decisions about, about all the controversial stuff. In our, you know, you have mandates and vaccinations and oh, do I want to wear a mask? or do I, Here's what I want. Here's what somebody else is telling me. That can be good. Sometimes it can be abused. Here's what love requires of me to do. That's much harder. That's much more costly for us. When I look around at other people, not just what I want to do, but what's good for you? What's good for other people? What's good for vulnerable people? How do I worship God by loving other people? And so uh, we don't let fear, oh, you've got to fall in line. You've got to do what I tell you. We, just, we also don't become stubborn and say, I'm only going to do what I'm going to do. We go deeper, not, 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 not more surface. I'll just do what I want to do. Nobody can tell me. We go deeper. What does love require me to do in this situation? So it's Super Bowl Sunday. I hope that you're going to watch the game tonight. Even if you don't care about football, just enjoy being with some people, eat some snacks, whatever. If you don't have a team or your team's not in the game, pick a team. Trash talk people that pick the other team. Your team is winning and they're losing. Just be merciless and make them feel terrible at their choice. And then remember, life is not a football game. It's not about what jersey you wear. For Christians... It's all about Christ living in us. And so, Heavenly Father, we continue to pray for a spirit of unity, not just amongst us here uh, at Westside, although certainly that, but also when we go out and we interact with our families and our friends, and people that we work with or our neighbors, and we just realize there's so much to argue about, and yet we have the most powerful message, the good news of Jesus given to us. We pray that you would form us, that you would use quiet moments, conversations, your scriptures, worship music, 
to help us to become more attentive to your spirit living in us and working through us, that we would allow you to form us, that we might become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that that message would ruminate so deeply within us that it would change how we live and how we see other people. And that when people wonder what jersey we're wearing, it would be clear that it's your love poured out for the world through Jesus Christ and in your spirit. Amen.